This episode is sponsored by DreamHost, web hosting with purpose. Visit dreamhost.com forward slash Climify to sign up for a hosting plan today. I'm Eric Benson, the host of Climify, and I've been a satisfied DreamHost user since 2006. And I'm not the only one who enjoys DreamHost. They are PC Mag's Editor's Choice winner five years in a row. I use DreamHost because they're affordable. They care about the planet, they're easy to use, and have fantastic customer service. In fact, it's 24-7. I can't tell you how many times I've messed up the back end of my WordPress site, only to be saved by a DreamHost technician within the next 15 minutes or less. They're always available on chat. They send me links to tutorials, but most often just fix the site themselves, and then voila, it's back up within a few minutes. DreamHost customer service is seriously the best. Because I care about the planet, I also want a hosting service that does too. DreamHost has improved on their corporate sustainability since I joined up 16 years ago. Currently, they get their electricity from renewable sources, use high efficiency cooling infrastructure, utilize power efficient processors, and partner with in-state clean wind programs. I also love how DreamHost is employee-owned and have office sustainability initiatives. DreamHost is committed to their employees and to their customers. Plus, their affiliate program is really cool. You can earn $15 to $200 in commission just for referring a friend who sets up a new account. Even better, DreamHost has no limits on how many people you refer to the program. To sign up as a DreamHost affiliate, go to dreamhost.com forward slash affiliates. That's dreamhost.com forward slash affiliates. And just click the sign up today button. And if you want to learn more about their sustainability initiatives, head to dreamhost.com and click on the green hosting link on the bottom. Welcome to Climify, the podcast that connects climate scientists and design educators together so that we can help combat our climate crisis in our classrooms. The discussions on this program are geared to help you climify your syllabi to assign projects that not only teach design fundamentals, but also can have a positive impact on our climate. I'm Lainey Signer. I'm the director of the Climate Farm School program at Terra.do. And I live in Sebastopol, California at Green Valley Farm and Mill, which is one of the host farms that hosts this uh, interesting and unique educational program. And I um, am currently in Maryland visiting my family. So I'm speaking to you all from the East Coast today. You can find me online at the Terra.do website on our staff page and also on LinkedIn. I'm Elena Signer um, on LinkedIn. Both Elena Signer and Lainey Signer are me. Uh, Lainey is my nickname and Elena is my full given name. Earlier in this season, I believe episode four, I interviewed Sadie Redwing, a Lakota designer and educator who spoke about the importance of soil for designers. She touched upon a few things that piqued my interest in this idea. She made me interested enough that I sought out another soil expert to focus exclusively on soil in this episode. I was connected to Lainey by Mark O'Brien from the Climate Designers and his relationship with Tara 
www.lanningandmarketing.co. I learned so much from Laney in this discussion. I really hope you enjoy this episode as much as I relished making it. Laney, welcome to Climify. I'm happy that you're here and excited to learn about soil. We had a guest on earlier this season, um, Sadie Redwing, and she was talking about soil, which led me to think I need to learn more about this. So um, Mm -hmm. you came up in a discussion with uh, Mark O'Brien at the Climate Designers. And so this is why I reached out to you and I'm glad you're here. I'm so glad to be here. And I also listened to that episode with Sadie Redwing and loved it. And as I was listening to it, I was like, oh my gosh, there's so much more to say and explore about soil. And I also, as you were talking about your experience listening to it, felt a little late to the game and getting fired up and excited about soil. So it's definitely something I've been learning and teaching myself more about over the past 10 years. And it's just a fascinating, endlessly fascinating world beneath our feet. Well, I'm ready to get fired up about soil today. How did you get fired up about soil? How did you get involved with this? Yeah, I love that starting point. So I really got fired up about soil. I guess if I had to trace it as far back as I possibly can for me, um, probably to when I was teaching eighth grade in Boston and started a school gardening project with my eighth graders and a kindergarten classroom. And just watching them building these raised beds and interacting with the soil, putting their hands in it, not being afraid to get dirty and being so excited by the tomato plants that we were able to feed and watch grow and produce fruits by the following school year was a real light bulb moment for me that this is like the only thing that eighth graders I had seen get excited about. So I was like, I should probably know more about soils and gardening and, you know, where our food comes from too. So that kind of set me off on a learning journey, um, going back to grad school and also working and apprenticing on different farms on the West Coast where I went to grad school. Um, And in that process of farming and learning about food systems, I was just so you know, caught off guard by how fundamental the role of soil is in growing healthy food, in storing water, cycling nutrients, and just providing a beneficial environment for all of us to live in. I was like, wow, this this whole <laughs> yeah. soil universe is incredible. <laughs> wow, teaching middle school, that must have been hard. It was. It was the hardest thing I've ever done and I, also probably the most rewarding. <laughs> my aunt was an eighth grade English teacher for most of her adult life. And I heard a lot of stories growing up from her about what it was like with, what is it? 13 year olds. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's impressive. I only did it for two years and I basically burned out. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you found soil and that's the most important part. (laughs) That's true. Your true love. love soil. Yes. (laughs) Well, why does soil matter so much? Why should, why should we care about it? Mm -hmm. Um, I think soil the short answer of why it matters so much is just because of the incredible amount of life that is stored in soil. Mm. Uh, I think my favorite stat about soil is that just in a small handful of soil, there's more living organisms than the number of human beings on this planet. Um, So very small space, (laughs) lots and lots of life and living organisms. And what those living organisms essentially translate to, um, if we're thinking in climate terms or even kind of like nutrient terms for growing food that we all care about, um, that life equates to carbon. So all life is roughly 60% carbon. That includes you and me, and that includes all of the life and biology in the soil. Um, So you can kind of think of the more life that you see or feel, there's different ways of 
assessing life in the soil kind of the most obvious is like looking for earthworms. Um, when you see that life, that's a good sign that there's carbon in that soil. That means that we can grow food there. We can cycle nutrients. We can hold water. Like so many of the keys to our survival are actually rooted in an understanding of the soil that we're all, you know, surrounded by, but it's like also invisible. We also often don't dig in it, especially in cities. It's hard to engage with. So it's like a little bit mysterious still, but it's also kind of like the hidden hero of, you know, so much environmental and ecosystem function. Yeah, that that makes it uh, seem, I guess, ironic, right? Where you're trying to avoid getting soil on your shoes and <laughs> and and your hand, going to get your hands dirty, but it's basically like, this is your best friend. We, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, so and, many fundamental overlaps with human health as well. Like when you have that healthy soil, the food that's grown in it, or your hands being sunk into it. Like first of all, your hands being in soil has been shown to reduce anxiety and depression, which is amazing. Really? And then just that food that's grown in it being healthy and having more micronutrients present when the soil biology is abundant and diverse, um, that translates to better diet-related disease outcomes and reduces inflammation. It's just kind of this like mystery link at the very beginning of you know many foundations of, of human health. So that's also oh. something I've just kind of only recently scratched the surface of exploring. <laughs> so does healthier soil mean healthier food? Yes, healthier food and healthier people. So really, we could all care about Everything's connected. Everything's (laughs) amazing how that works, right? I know, I know. (laughs) So in terms of like um, farming then with Mm. uh, either at home or about a bigger scale, Mm -hmm. um, what's happening, I guess, maybe we'll start with like industrial farming. What's happening with the soil in in that world? Mm. Yeah, so... The soil in industrial farming contexts and um, on those large scale, big factory farms, we can think of them, whether they're growing corn, wheat, soy in the middle of the country, or whether they're um, extensive ranching systems raising just one type of livestock. These industrial farming systems are unfortunately wreaking havoc on our soil um, when it's crops that are grown in monocultures, which means just one crop across an entire field. Um, they're reliant on chemical herbicides and fertilizers and pesticides sprayed onto the soil, which unfortunately, as you can probably imagine, doesn't just kill the pests or like provide the fertilizer that the plant needs. It also kills a lot of soil life mm. and over nutrient, like oversupplies nutrients like nitrogen, which leads to nitrous oxide emissions and nitrogen runoff to pollute local waterways. So unfortunately, industrial farming is Um, kind of creating yields for human food and livestock feed at the expense, I would say, of soil health and um, many dimensions of human health. So it's something that really needs to be revisited um, Mm -hmm. as we try to focus not just on yield, but on a healthy environment, healthy people, and growing a more diversified range of crops that can actually feed soil life and take better care of our farming ecosystems, especially the soil. (laughs) Was it possible then that... um through that kind of farming, could it, I guess, not kill the soil, but it, can it kill the soil, I guess, in, in that respect? Yeah. Well, so yeah, the word that's used a lot is disturbance. So there is a lot of soil disturbance, and that is killing soil life at various depths. I mean, in various parts of the country, the soil, you, the top soil that we think of as best for farming in the top, you know, six to 12 inches might be pretty dead if you're applying lots of chemicals every year, um, or if you're tilling the soil with things like plows and 
tractor equipment. Um, there's various forms of tillage that have varying degrees of disruption. Um, sometimes it's all in the top six to 12 inches, and sometimes the disturbances or damages um, can go deeper than that. And so that's kind of this question of like, okay, well, how do we learn about that? How do we study that? We need to, it's pretty expensive to drill deep down into the soil and know what's going on, but we've started to get better at assessing the top soil profiles and understanding, okay, like, is this devoid of life? How do we bring biology back? Yeah. And in some cases in industrial farms, you know, we're tilling less, meaning we're not dragging plows and tearing up the soil mechanically. We're just, you know, adding chemicals and pesticides, which some people mm. are arguing is a little bit less disturbing, but still, still disturbing to those precious soil living organisms. Yeah. Well, how do you bring the soil back? What's, what are ways that are you doing that or scientists yeah. doing that? So bringing the soil back, I mean, yeah, the soil has obviously been a huge resource on the side of humankind for a long, long time. And uh, I think Sadie mentions on her podcast episode, you know, just the traditional practices dating back millennia um, have given us some examples of taking pretty good care of the soil while producing food for human populations. Um, so we can look to the past as well as, you know, current trends in what people are calling regenerative farming to think about how to grow food and protect the soil. Um, in some ways, it goes back to reducing disturbance and like bothering the soil as little as possible. But it also, when we think about like if something is dead and we want to bring it back to life, we can't also just like leave it alone or ignore it. So some amount of intervention might be required. And that could look like planting a diversity of crops above ground and hoping that they have enough sort of like oomph in them to kickstart the process of, you know, soil life cycling between the plant level and the, the soil organisms beneath it and the fungal networks. You can kind of kickstart that by replanting a diversity of maybe especially native plant communities. Mm -hmm. um, and diversity above ground is often mirrored by diversity below ground. So kind of the more diversity you have in plants in a field or in a garden, the more that's feeding different organisms and biology in the soil. So that's one good thing to look out for is like, don't just plant one thing, plant many things. Try to have a mix of deeper rooted plants like perennials, shrubs, trees, and then shallower rooted plants. And that's all going to kickstart a beneficial biological process again in the soil. And some people have um, developed inoculants that you could try to add back in some of the beneficial bacteria. But unless you also have a community to support any one thing you're inoculating a soil with, you're going to, it's a, it gets really complicated and, um, and challenging kind of the complex yeah, food yeah, web I'm, that I'm, you're feeding. I'm a little overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not, not even a professional, like a PhD in soil science. I wish I was. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, there's so much to there's know. There's <laughs> so much more, right? It's, it goes deeper. Pardon the yeah. pun, right? Yeah, exactly. Well, like there's many of people like me are homeowners and um, we've been trying to have like, I guess, just a garden or um, nice landscaping, I would say, probably. Mm -hmm. And we we watched this um, show, uh, movie, sorry, uh, Little Big Farm, I think was the name of it. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And yeah biggest Little Farm. Yeah. Biggest yeah. Little Farm. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> close. Pretty close. Uh, and <laughs> what they said is is pretty much exactly what you said. And that is the more diversity, the more and they were specifically talking about in you know native plants here mm. on their place the healthier the soil is going to be the more robust uh 
the whole ecosystem will be. And, you know, it's sort of like the opposite of how I was thinking about it as a homeowner. I know this is very small scale here, but I was just like, what can I plant that I don't have to do a lot of work with? But it turns mm. out like that's, <laughs> that's the wrong way, right? Totally. Yeah. There is a strong connection that we can have even in our home gardens and landscaping decisions um, to thinking about like that connection with soil health. And I don't know, I have a neighbor at my family's um, home in Rhode Island who has basically replaced his his lawn with a native New England forest ecosystem. And it has oh, been wow. a project of 25 years. And he's That's like amazing. a professional ecologist. And it is amazing to see the tree communities that he started with, like the foundational bigger plants that provide understory and um, leaf mm -hmm. droppings to nourish the soil and create a place where ferns might be able to crop up. And so it does, it's wow. like not something that is, I would say, within reach for every busy professional with some sort of yard oh, or home no. <laughs> garden, but we can all take these little steps of like, okay, let's try to have this native bush or grass in addition to some annual vegetable crops that hopefully do well and are drought tolerant. Certainly where I live in California, there's a lot of um, drought tolerant landscaping coming in to replace lawns. And I think my sense is that some of that is like more achievable by the average busy professional um, to cultivate some of those species, learn a little bit about them and ultimately not have like a full-time job on your hands in addition to right. other full-time jobs. Yeah. Cause they yeah. were saying in that film, like, yeah, it took some work, but once they got it planted mm -hmm. and it was going, they had, they didn't have to do anything. Not as mm -hmm. much. It yeah. starts to take care of itself. That's true. That is yeah. very encouraging and exciting to see. And we need to do some human tending to maybe get to that, that point of, right nature looking after itself but i mean we are ultimately part of that nature system so uh we can think of ourselves as being a beneficial boost and then maybe stepping back over time but i like to remind myself that when i do something like plant a tree or you know get some perennial roots in the ground it's really not just for me it's like it's a beautiful gift to the future so right, even yeah. if i get this sad like oh i'm renting i'm not even gonna live here like for 10 years to see this tree grow I'm like, someone else will hopefully benefit. And like, they might not even know my name, yeah. but that's kind of beautiful. So trying to take the long view. <laughs> yeah, I think Sadie talked about that too, about reciprocity or, or giving mm -hmm. back, right? Mm -hmm. That's exactly yeah. thing. And plus, totally. like you said, I mean, busy professional, but putting your hands in the soil, is, you know, mm -hmm. it's like a forest bath. It just kind of reduces yeah. all your Relief stress. Of work. <laughs> yes. that, that angry meeting you had with... <laughs> It's a good coworkers. Friday afternoon activity. Yeah. 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 Just maybe it can replace uh, a glass of wine, right? It can replace that with. <laughs> you can also garden with a glass of wine. That's true. So, Why not know, take the best of both worlds? Win win. Right? Yeah. Like organically yeah. grown, regeneratively yeah. farmed grapes. How about oh, that? Of course. Yeah. Well, regenerative farming, that was in um, the film and you mentioned it. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. I really want to know more about it, um, not just for my own um place where i live but just for mm. the world in general can you talk to us more yeah. about what is regenerative farming yes definitely um i think there it's interesting that definitions of regenerative farming proliferate i think it's kind of like a catchy buzzword these days maybe it like is. sustainable agriculture um was back in like the 90s and 2000s but yes there's many definitions so i spent a lot of time sifting through all of them and right now my favorite one is um Regenerative agriculture is farming that builds healthy soils, reduces air and water pollution, maximizes efficiencies, and increases biodiversity while promoting equity and public health. 
Um, this definition is from Regen One, a project to promote stakeholder co collaborations to advance regenerative farming, not just among farmers, but among the surrounding parts of the food supply chain. Um, and they go on to say that simultaneously, you can be storing carbon, building resilience to extreme weather, filtering water, and eliminating some of these chemical inputs. So it's really a framework for empowering farmers and ranchers to adapt and mitigate to climate change. Um, and that's something that it's not just on farmers and ranchers to do this. It's really on all of us to recognize these connections and support that process. Um, because I think ultimately it is going to be quite a departure and transition from business as usual today in farming and ranching communities um, towards a, a new framework that's kind of like, it's both new and old. It's looking back to the past, but in a, you know, forward-looking way with climate change mm -hmm. causing more damaging impacts certainly now than they did um I don't know, hundreds of years ago. <laughs> Was it Regen One? What's the, is there an online presence for them? Website? There is. There is an online presence for Regen One. Um, I think their website might be regenone.com. I mean, that, I mean, that sounds very likely, right? <laughs> oh, they're actually, so they're a project listed under green, greenbrownblue.com. And I can send oh, you that for kind of following. Greenbrownblue.com. I like that. I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's the important um, colors for. I know a really good, good soil. color landscape there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So with so regenerative farming, uh, first of all, I really like that definition. And regenerative agriculture got me interested in the field of regenerative design because that's a thing, right? And mm -hmm, I believe mm -hmm. it probably sprang out from um, regenerative farming. And mm -hmm. I just like switching the word agricultural to design right how yes. do you how do we design things that improve our soil right you design packaging that improves the soil to totally improve us right because apparently right the soil creates better food and creates better healthy humans mm -hmm. exactly. yeah and and how important then is soil and regenerative farming to um help uh, in our climate crisis? So I would say it's pretty essential to be focusing on the soil in the fight against climate change. Um, like most climate solutions, it is not sufficient by itself to solve climate change. So every time I hear right. like over trumpeting of like soil carbon will solve the problem, I'm like, well, no, it won't. <laughs> but we certainly have lost a lot of carbon from the soil to the atmosphere and thus have an opportunity to put that carbon back in the soil. Um, it's around I think the most recent estimate that I've seen is like 116 billion tons of carbon have been lost from the soil Whoa. to the atmosphere due to human agricultural activity. So that's a lot of carbon that we have the opportunity to restore and accumulate in our soils and hold it yeah. actively cycling there versus, you know, just a one-way arrow up to the atmosphere. Um, and that's definitely going to be a big deal um, to put that number in context a little bit we currently emit about 10 gigatons of carbon emissions to the atmosphere each year. So this is like- From farming? Total, total human total, emissions. Total, So this is like wow. historic agriculture has it's about 10 years of, 11 years of current rates of emissions um, today, which are obviously more today than they were a long time ago, but it's a lot. Um, so it's a really big deal in the fight against climate change to focus on building healthy soils um, and like you were saying, like the regeneration of soil life, there are principles there that um, have somehow amazingly been universally agreed upon by a lot of 
very smart soil scientists <laughs> that I think are relevant to regenerative design, regenerative economies, yeah. regenerative lifestyles. Um, so yeah, maybe we can think about that a little bit. And how let's those talk apply. about that because I don't know what the principles are, and that uh, would be a, that would be really cool to think about that from a design perspective. You know, let's follow nature's model, really. Totally, and I think design professionals might be like better once I tell you the five principles of soil health. You all can think about how that actually does map well and, or can be tweaked to influence uh, regenerative design. But the five yeah. principles of soil health are. Number one, maximize diversity, um, mm. which I think applies directly to regenerative design. Number right. two, keep the soil covered. Um, so that can be keeping covered with anything, living plants, mulch, even things like tarps sometimes to overwinter a field and let crop residues break down. Like you just want to keep it covered so right. you don't have wind and rain and um, damaging impacts that cause soil erosion. Uh, number three, keep living roots in the ground as much as possible. Um, number four is integrate animals. Um, so that people think of that as like, you have to have cows, chickens, pigs, but it's actually like any, any non-plant life form, like worms, worms. count, birds worms. count, yeah. <laughs> snakes count, owls count. So make your farm an inviting arm or like keep the soil, I guess, integrated with the animal, animal kingdom. Um, that's really beneficial for nutrient cycling. And number five is minimize disturbance. So we talked about disturbance being physical disturbance of tillage, chemical disturbance of fertilizer, pesticide. So you want to minimize that disturbance. Um, and then in the design space, regenerative design, I mean, minimizing disturbance, I feel like is to me, like kind of like let designers do their job and don't right. get in the way. Don't like give <laughs> yeah, people yeah. shitty don't contracts. Tell us not to, yeah. <laughs> don't tell us not to do certain things that like give yeah. us free reign to design and create and um, have the conditions to thrive as, as living beings. So that kind of, that translates as well. <laughs> yeah, I think also it could be disturbance as in impacts, like designing mm. without major negative impacts, right? That's uh -huh. disturbance. So I think yeah. that definitely applies to that totally. both ways. I like yours yeah. too, because of course, yeah, yeah. <laughs> clients will tell you to make it a different color. I was taking it in an color. HR direction. But right. yeah, minimizing disturbance. I mean, that requires a lot of thought because almost mm -hmm. every project we probably, or system we've designed as humans, will probably have unintended consequences that you'll oh, yeah. learn a little bit by doing and have to redesign. And so I guess that feeds into the redesign part of the design process. But yeah, minimizing disturbance is a good one. Yeah, and the other ones too, like, um, geez, uh, let's see. I, um, what was the first one you said? Because I had an idea from that one and then oh, I lost it. Maximize diversity. Maximize diversity. Yeah, exactly. So maximize diversity from the standpoint of design wouldn't be about designing um, for more voices, uh, mm -hmm. DEI mm -hmm. work, diversity, mm -hmm. equity, inclusion work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more you think about who's going to use it, the more long, it, the longer it'll last, and the more mm -hmm. people will embrace it, right? So if you make something that is like culturally uh, insensitive, right? Like, it's, yeah, it's, it's going to be right, taken right down. Trash. Right, yeah. It, it <laughs> yeah, right in the trash. <laughs> yeah, so I think we can, I think um, if you're listening to the show, I think the list for you is something to think about, for all of us to think about how we can turn regenerative agriculture principles. There's five of them into design principles. That'll be our challenge. I challenge you to memorize them too. Yeah. I've I, already forgotten all of them. proud of myself yeah. for thinking. <laughs> I actually swear I didn't even look at my notes for that. I, uh so had them in you're here. committed to memory. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
but that's in the work you do every day. Like this is. Yeah. Yeah. This is huge in the, um, the course that I teach the climate farm school, um, rests heavily on a foundation foundational understanding of soil health. We spend the first part of the course talking about that, exploring that with a combination of farmers, soil health experts, and, um, kind of like other local stakeholders advocating for healthy soil, which has come to find out a big part of some folks farm bill platform for the 2023 farm bill coming up. So that's oh, exciting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So we, we talk about that a lot good in news. my line of work. Yeah. Yeah. Now, is that, that class you teach for anyone or is it just for farmers? Yeah. The course that I teach is for anyone. It's for adult professionals and um, students. We've had a few graduate students at least taking the course. I don't know if we've had any undergrads yet, but um, yeah, it's for, it's for, it involves um, the four week course. Three of those weeks are online sort of prepping and debriefing for the amazing core part of the experience because one week living and working on a regenerative farm oh, alongside no the host farmers. Yeah. Oh, really? It's, it's pretty, yeah, it's pretty That's amazing better. to be a part of those conversations and just the side-by-side work, meals, preparation, you know, mealtime conversations um, between farmers and all these different folks from many professional backgrounds and walks of life, um, sort of having that reconnection moment. You know, I, I, this reminds me because I can't remember how many years it was now. I'm just going to say six, you know, <laughs> probably wrong, but there is a <laughs> farm on campus. It's uh, organic farm on campus. Oh, lovely. Here at Illinois called the Sustainable Student Farm. Mm. And one summer I went out there, um, I was trying to plant some prairie grass. I, I do mm. this uh, paper, I have a paper making studio and I make paper mm. out of agricultural byproducts and prairie grass. Cool. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm, okay. I'm into soil for that reason. Yeah. <laughs> but I, you've taught me like exponentially more than I knew. Uh, but I went out there just to help plant the prairie grass that he was going to, he basically let me soil to grow the prairie grass. <laughs> and wow. I was out there for like half a day. And I can tell you that it was I felt so much better after mm. doing that. Mm. And um, I, I mm. thought like, why don't I do this more? Like after I was <sighs> done and yeah. then, you know, I really haven't since, which, you know, I don't know, I, I need to get back there. But I remember yeah. riding on the back of, he has an electric tractor, which is pretty cool. Oh, sweet. And That's he has awesome. his solar panels that he charges his tractor on, which is Dang. super neat. And living the dream. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he was. And I just was like, I was covered in, in, in soil. Mm. <laughs> and, uh, I just felt like I was very productive that day. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I think that ability for people that have taken the course that spent a morning, you know, recently harvesting winter squash for four hours, and you see oh, wow. how many winter squash a group of 10 people can get. It's like so satisfying. And you are <laughs> covered in soil. The squash is a little dirty when you're getting it out directly out of the fields on a crisp and cool fall morning, but um, it's so rewarding. I think that. Yeah that piece is motivating for people, even if they're coming in thinking, I just want to understand how carbon cycles in the soil. Like what you really want to do is harvest squash and work with farmers. That's like having that physical labor release sometimes when that's not a part of your norm. And like, again, those hands in the soil moments are, um, they can feel really good. <laughs> is that course over for the year or is it still going on? We're just wrapping up our last course. Um, it's actually underway now for 2022 and then launching new courses in the spring of 2023 and beyond. Um, so yeah, there will be more courses coming. More. Our last course is in Italy right now. So, Ooh. uh, lucky them. <laughs> yeah. Lucky them. Yeah. Are there any design? Have, there, have you had any designers take this course that you know of? Oh, great question. I think at least one. Yes. 
we did have one and oh, she wanted cool. to make a really cool book um like visual art meets text <laughs> yeah so you had this like it's gonna be online and physical copy um that it's like hand-drawn images to sort of depict cool. some of the regenerative agriculture science for more like kind of taking the regenerative ag scene and bringing it down to a home gardener level for like a regenerative home garden so that was one cool idea um we, i'll have to check in if she's still working on it but i welcome more designers i think yeah. that's like, every time i say something and i'm like i wish we had this visual or this like network effect or map of how the soil web relates to the above ground food web or something like it's i feel like those design people are starting to be like we could do that yeah <laughs> definitely hopefully useful. we get some more uh, of our yes. listeners to sign up ah. This audience and yes, their students come, come and my way. Their friends. Right? Well, <laughs> totally. there there was an episode in the first season where we talked to uh, a climate scientist uh, Gerardo, and he mm. said the same thing. He was like, "I wish I had some designers with me when I'm in the mm -hmm. Arctic mm -hmm. to better <laughs> one. You know, it's a little bit colder, but mm -hmm. uh, to either like just document what he's doing. Like I could imagine yes. the same thing with you. Like, um, yes." I would love a design friend on my shoulder, um, yeah. helping me just communicate about some of the things that we're exploring and discovering on these courses and with these host farmers, that it takes a lot more engagement and people and like public understanding and awareness mm. in order to make a systemic change. Because we can't just be making changes at this point, like one farm at a time. We need to like understand some fundamental principles and then right. go forth and like carry them out in bigger and better ways. And I feel like there's a big role for design in that. So, yeah. Yeah. So there's a big storytelling role. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Definitely. Yeah. And I wonder then about um, the way that we, we meaning, I guess, the people involved in, in climate action, uh, mm -hmm. how can soil be better integrated into the, into that climate story? How can, how can we better do yeah. this? Yeah. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, I think uh, just maybe like being present and telling some of the stories of the farmers and land stewards and soil scientists who are um, kind of uncovering a lot of new information or new discoveries about how healthy soil is maybe impacting, say, mm -hmm. like your ability to withstand a hurricane in Puerto Rico or your ability to grow a diversity of healthy crops to feed your community when more and more people are wanting that food as We've seen kind of supply chain shocks in grocery stores due to pandemic related or climate related disruptions. I think telling some of those stories in um, in like really captivating ways gets at the human element of soil. Um, and I think there's also some amazing public health advocates that could have uh, more storytelling assistance to have those voices amplified in especially urban communities where food apartheid and food sovereignty are like the biggest questions and access to growing food in healthy living soils is a little bit more challenging, but there's still that recognition that like healthy soil equals healthy people and um, right. folks trying to do the work of, you know, having healthy, thriving urban gardens, whether it's, you know, in the ground or on the rooftop. Um, and I think that's like really, really inspiring because these people are often doing that work without um, tons of monetary compensation, but like often just like people powered right. community support. And I would love to just like have those stories being told with hopes that it can better resource those efforts and like kind of protect them a little bit more politically with, you know, support for urban agriculture and support for regenerative farmers for the ecosystem services they're providing, whether they're urban or rural. Um, yeah, I think storytelling will 
hopefully help get this on more people's radar. Then I say also urban residents, because there's this kind of more of more of them right. <laughs> living in the cities where the disconnected piece might be a little greater. But um, yeah, being the well, story. Well, you created a tagline already, right? Which was <laughs> the tagline was um, healthy soil, healthy people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that's, that's a great tagline. And I remember <laughs> I don't remember who said it. It was someone working in the climate movement. And they said one of the biggest um, acts of rebellion or political uh, mm. things you could do is grow your own food. Yes. Oh, my gosh. A recent participant quoted that as well in the courts that we just had. Who said um, it? In the Edmund Valley. Ugh. I it can't someone, remember. I think it might have been like SDR or something. No. <laughs> but it, oh, my God. Well no, that was maybe a different quote. Okay. I Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, have to we'll, find we'll out. have to find out that. Yeah, yeah, uh, we can do and, that. And I wonder what you think about that. Do you do you agree with that or? I feel like I do more and more. Um, I think that yeah, it is a pretty radical act of freedom to grow to be able to grow your own food. Um, that ability and that potentially land access piece is just being stripped away from more and more people. Right. Um, as we urbanize as land and housing and like real estate markets go crazy and get super expensive, it just concentrates land and power and that food growing access in the hands of a few instead of the hands of the many. Um, and I feel like, right. you know, restoring that balance and like restoring equity to the the food system and, and ultimately like in the access to soil needs to be more equitable um that's just like super super important and Ugh. you know it's work that needs needs to be done and and I focused agree. on i totally yeah. agree and i think i thought about this um one of the designers i went to grad school with brought up this idea of like homogenization right like mm. you go to the grocery store time to buy a tomato and there's a tomato there but like in terms of like the types of tomatoes that exist in the world yeah, yeah. And we're only it's allowed like, to buy this one so type. <laughs> I know. And then but these farms where they're growing 20 or 30 different varieties and they're all like, you know, seed saved heirlooms from many different places. Then, I mean, it, they taste better for sure, for starters. And mm-hmm. I feel like you have that ability in a lot of urban farms that I've seen. They are selectively saving the seeds that do best year after year and like writing down why. Like, so they might have like big drought in 2020 these seeds did really well. Okay. So like, let's keep planting them, right. but we're not just going to plant the drought resilient seeds because some years we might have floods and like, there's like no so smart and then saving <laughs> and then diversity. And you kind of need that knowledge and access um, to have like, yeah, to restore equity, to have healthy people, to not have massive famine as climate change gets worse. I mean, yeah, I really, it's phrase it's all connected, but um, yeah, I think having that knowledge and, having land access, which there are folks working on very innovative ways of accessing land and growing food and restoring food sovereignty, but that is really, really fundamental. Um, we can't just concentrate it in the hands of a few and in large and larger and larger plots because that promotes the only way to manage thousands of acres is with machines and one crop being planted and simplifying systems rather than like that diversity of 20 tomato species plus right. other crops. Um, you can't really have that if land gets super concentrated. No, that brings me back to like your five principles of regenerative regenerative agriculture and applying that to design and that mm. diversity, right? So now I'm, mm-hmm. now I'm rethinking that and thinking about if you wanna, uh, the more voices you have, right? Mm-hmm. The more 
people are feel that they have ownership of what they're doing, that equity mm-hmm. concept, right? That is more sustainable. Totally. And yeah. the more voices you have, the more tomatoes you have. That's right, exactly. Kind of right. Like, let's, like, let's embrace that. Seems great. Embrace that. Yeah. Cause I think yeah. about then, like, I'll just refer to graphic design because that's what I teach. But a lot of the work that we're doing or, or foundational design that we learn, I should say, is all based on very Western European, like Bauhaus mm. and Swiss mm-hmm. modernist work, which, mm. you know, you go to Africa, you go to other countries where they were creating things and they weren't necessarily following, following that. And that's, they're basically like that canon is sacrosanct and you cannot break it, but we should. Totally. Totally. Right. Yeah. The laws of know, regenerative design now. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the maximized diversity principle is, is a key one. Cause I think um, like that diversity also implies a learning from places and people that we aren't necessarily learning from at like the largest scales of U.S. farming today. And I mean, there's a there's a great documentary called The Ants and the Grasshopper that talks about mm. a farming community in Malawi that kind of reintroduces diversity to a community where um, green revolution crops and like simplifying field decision making had been pushed on them. But then kind of going back to the diversity of crops, the seed saving, um, the knowledge of how to prepare that food um, led to a lot of empowerment of women and led to um, a much healthier and more positive community dynamic um, of of subsistence farming. And so um, there's just like a lot to be learned. And then these two women from the community come to the U.S. and try and witness and observe what's going on here. And they're just like, whoa, why do you guys just grow one thing in the middle of the country? So it's, um, it's a lot of good recognition of the value of diversity yeah Um, are you familiar with drawdown.org yeah yeah and so i I what you just said right it's it it attacks and embraces two different things that that they talk about in terms of fighting uh, the worst climate change scenarios is you know soil health and then Mm. empowering and educating women oh yeah I know that that's kind of like a that's great. sneaky, yeah, climate solution stuck in there that takes a lot to unpack, but it does, yeah, have a lot of bearing on on our future for so many reasons. So yeah, that's great to great to reference. Yeah, it is. And unfortunately, we're getting close to time here and there's so much more I want to know about soil. <laughs> yeah, I, I might always. need to take your course. <laughs> <laughs> You're always welcome. Yeah, but it leads to my favorite question that I ask everyone, and that is mm. putting yourself into my shoes or the mm. design educator's shoes and thinking about your work and experience. Um, what were you? What would you do if you were asked to teach a design class? What would you have the designers work on? What would you mm. assign them? Mm-hmm. Definitely. That's a great question. And I was thinking about Thank this you. a lot because I was like, there's so many cool assignments that probably happen in design education spaces that I, you know, wish I could have done or participated in, and I'm not not fully aware. But I would say, um, yeah, taking your class out to a farm, maybe the campus farm, or maybe just a farmer garden in their community, and allowing them to sort of sit, observe, meditate, relax, be a part of a farming and gardening environment, and a and in, engage with the soil ecosystem. Yeah. I think just having that time can lead to, you know, unexpected forms of inspiration. Um, and even better, if you can have a farmer out there with you sort of talking about their recent experiences and um, observation. I think the human power of observation is not something we all get to use enough of when we're working on computers all day. Um, so yeah, get outside onto the land, 
and witness, observe, think freely, um, and then, you know, take up some of these challenges that you might be seeing or feeling or like recent ones that we've heard at the Climate Farm School courses are like, what, um, how could we map the soil types and crops that we're growing here onto like historical right. land use that might help us guide decision-making around what to plant for the future? Um, is it the crops of the past or is it the crops of the past from like 50 miles south of here as things get, temperatures warm? So just having some of these, I don't know, like mapping tools, visuals, or storytelling narratives of the soil, like, you know, act out a skit of the soil microbiome. <laughs> that would be so hilarious and engaging. The story um, of soil. The story of soil. I actually want to dramatic do this interpretation. With farmers. Yeah, I play the role of a soil microbe and we acted <laughs> out a skit for like local elementary school students. Do you? But it was probably way over their head because we were talking yeah. about like the fungi hyphal networks and like the soil microbes. But I mean, yeah, there's probably more work to be done there for sure to visualize the incredible interactions this down below. also works for like the theater programs, right? Yeah, totally. I know I'm talking about design, now I'm talking about theater, but yeah, it's I fine. think drawing this inspiration directly from the land and from nature and from, you know, if, if folks are able to come out and work with farmers or take a climate farm school course, I feel like you'll have no shortage of projects being thrown at you for the rest of your life right. by the people that are just fired up to have designers in their midst to be like, oh, help us, you know, figure this one out. And like, we have these challenges that we're too busy working eight hours a day out there, like more than that really in the summer um, to do, figure out on our own. So you're very needed designers. Yeah, well, this <laughs> makes me feel vindicated because I did uh, a number of years ago, take my students to that organic farm. Ah, beautiful. And uh, it was, I, I had a good time. They had a good time. Funny story was one of the students, we learned this, um, and I've never heard of this before. She has like a phobia of tomatoes wow. on, on the vine, on the vine. Oh, goodness. Not like in the store or in I've the I've never salon. heard that before. Yeah, yeah on the vine. Huh. Walk down the, the row of tomatoes and, and she ran away screaming. It was one of the weirdest experiences Whoa. in my class. Yeah. That is, yeah, that is, that is strange. I've, yeah, I've never Have heard that Have you heard of before. that phobia? No, definitely not. I mean, I know. Did she make plant, it up? <laughs> yeah, possible. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, it definitely leaves like a stain on my hands and a very distinctive smell when I've been working in the field or like yeah. a row of tomatoes all day versus other crops. So it is distinctive, but I've mostly heard the loving, like fila side of tomatoes, not the phobic side of, no, no, of yes, human so reactions. Well, yeah. just like the idea too, from if you're making something, right? You're as a designer or anyone, right? You're mm -hmm. making with it with natural resources or things that mm -hmm. are coming from the earth, and the more you are connected with those, yeah, I think the more you'll understand about the importance of uh, lessening the um, what was the last one and the one of the principles lessening the disturbance. Oh, minimizing disturbance. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And I think, I mean, with that, maybe it doesn't come totally automatically, but I, I like to think in some ways it does, like that acknowledgement and appreciation for the natural resources or the things that don't always get acknowledged in a design piece, maybe like, where did this come from? Who used it? Who stewarded this land that allowed me to use these materials from it? And like having that, that awareness and acknowledgement and also um, I think with that expanding access to those natural resources, like we touched on, um, can stem from 
a design project that's really rooted in like the land, the soil, yeah. um, natural ecosystems. So that would be my hope. Mine too. Well, this has been a really enjoyable conversation. I am even more fired up about soil. Thanks. <laughs> I really am. Um, I'm motivated to test the soil in my backyard. I've been ah, yeah. wondering why things aren't growing very well. Well, yes, I, happy I to share reasons. resources on how to on how to do that. Get your soil yeah. tested, but also just things you can do to smell your soil, hold it. Um, yeah, if there's any like follow up show notes or whatever, I'll I'll put my little like guide to observing the be. life in your soil. Just basically look for earthworms in step one, and then we can go from there. <laughs> okay, yeah, and I'm also very interested in continuing to ex explore how those those five principles of regenerative mm. agriculture can become like a foundation for design and mm. what my listeners think about that too. Totally. Yeah. I look forward to hearing about that as well and what other folks come up with. Eleni, thank you very much. Where can we find you online again? Um, so yeah, you can find me on LinkedIn at Elena Signer and um, I'm on the Terra.do website on the staff page and you can find my email there as well. Well, thanks for being on the show and, and good luck with all your soil adventures. And then your oh, thanks. You too. Good luck in the garden. <laughs> this podcast is written, produced, and engineered by me. Designed by Bashul Rashik and Mark O'Brien. With social media strategy by Michelle Wynn. Music by Casual Motive. Next time on Climify, we're joined by professor, illustrator, author, and Afrofuturist, John Jennings. He joins us to share the power of comics when it comes to climate storytelling. When you talk about storytelling and you talk about designer storytelling, the final thing is affect. Like how that object or that, that experience makes you feel when you leave, right? Or the thing that you leave, what mm. does it feel like, you know? And if you're scaring the hell out of people, <laughs> then yeah. and people don't want to interact with that, you know? So maybe we should go to Hope Funky punky kind of way right when you the solar punk hope punk. punk yeah so like <laughs> hey you know we're talking about the future and so i would say like try to figure out ways to kind of you know push the narrative towards hope towards we can still do this like we have to work together thanks for listening to climify if you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast please share it with others post about it on social media or leave a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts to catch all the latest on Climify, you can follow us on Instagram at Climify Podcast. Climify is part of Climate Designers. Learn more at climatedesigners.org slash edu.